Welcome to Heard at Heritage. Heard at Heritage features cutting-edge analysis and thought from leading experts in and across the conservative movement, as well as premier events and programming from the Heritage Foundation here in the heart of Washington, D.C., brought straight to you. Thank you for listening to this Heritage Foundation event. Every day, the Heritage Foundation holds important events with respected and influential leaders and policy experts on today's most important issues. Our events are part of our mission to formulate and promote conservative public policies based on the principles of free enterprise, limited government, individual freedom, traditional American values, and strong national defense. We hope you enjoy the program. Welcome, everyone, and thank you for joining us today at the Heritage Foundation. We hope that you are safe and healthy and well. Today's webinar, So Your Workforce is Remote Now, Best Practices in Managing Virtual Teams. I'm pleased to have three seasoned experts with us, and we're going to introduce them shortly. First, I'd like to remind everyone that this session is being recorded, and it will be available on heritage.org and resourcebank.org within the next 48 hours. Second, as an attendee, you are in listen-only mode, and so we encourage you to submit questions throughout the program through the questions feature on the right-hand side of the screen. We'd like to mention the names of those who submit questions. Please also add your organization if you'd like to receive a shout out during that part of the, of the session today. Now it's my pleasure to introduce our guests. First, Beverly Hallberg. Beverly is the president of District Media Group and a senior fellow at Independent Women's Forum. Beverly is an expert media coach, lecturer, and public speaker with more than 18 years of experience. She has trained members of Congress, CEOs, policy wonks, reporters, nonprofit and movement leaders, and politicos. And she's a guest columnist for The Daily Signal, The Washington Examiner, and The Hill, and a frequent contributor to Fox News and CNN. And Beverly joins us today from Capitol Hill. Next, we have Jonathan Bechtel. Jonathan is the Chief Operating Officer and General Counsel at the Foundation for Government Accountability. As COO, Jonathan is responsible for building and upgrading their organizational structure and the core systems of FGA through hiring and management. And as general counsel, he works to ensure that FGA complies with all relevant state and federal laws. And prior to joining FGA, Jonathan served as the chief operating officer and then the chief executive officer of the Freedom Foundation, a free market think tank based in Olympia, Washington. And Jonathan's success was honored by the State Policy Network with the Overton Award which is the highest honor for COOs in the freedom movement. And Jonathan joins us today from Florida. And next we have Martin Gillespie. Martin is the Director of Donor Relations at the Heritage Foundation, where he also serves as an advisor, a senior advisor to the President for Corporate Relations. Martin previously served three election cycles in key roles at the Republican National Committee, as well as as, as a Justice Department appointee under President George W. Bush. And in previous roles, he was the executive director of American Majority Action, political director for Senator Sam Brownback, and a campaign manager to Congressman Chris Smith. Martin joins us today from Virginia. And so I would like, just like to start out as we move into the session that we sought these three individ individuals because they lead teams across the geographic US. And they've all been operating that way well before COVID-19. And so they have deep experience in managing and motivating employees and cultivating deep relationships and delivering results for their organizations and their clients. And so you've all been doing this for a while, others have not, and yet they find themselves doing so today. So thank you for joining us and let's start with Beverly. Beverly, you coach effective communications. So let's say it's a manager trying to more effectively communicate with his or her staff now in a remote environment. 
what does that manager need to know and think about to do this well? Oh, wait, Beverly, I think you might still be on mute. Let's see. Sorry, how about that? Can you hear me now? Perfect. Yes, we Great. can. Thank you. I think for people who are brand new to this and being thrust into this during COVID-19, it's the extra challenge because it's not only making sure that people have the right technology that they need to set up, but also making sure that the work can be done in a seamless way. So there are a lot of changes you need to make. Um, one thing that's nice about every, anyone who is a panelist today, we've had some experience with this. So when people have asked me, how is District Media Group done during this time? We're very fortunate in that we were already set up for telework. So the way that we operate, our company has been around for 12 years. We have employees in Washington, DC, but also in other states and contractors across the country. We're a small team, only about five people who work for us. So some of the others have larger teams that they'll talk through. So we've had that, that ability to set up the technology and some of the systems ahead of time. So um, I just want to share some of the things that I have learned. I've learned as a manager as I've gone through this. When I started District Media Group 12 years ago, it was just me. Um, so first of all, it was as I built a team, I learned how to telework. And one of the things that I do encourage managers to, to take into account is that I encourage you to make time for management. And here's what I mean by that is when you lose, leave the typical office setting, often you lose a lot of the interaction from day to day, the talking through issues without an actual meeting being planned. You can see whether or not your staff is overworked or they need more work. So you lose a lot of those touch points that you would normally have just in working with, in an office with individuals. So what you really need to do is set aside time on your calendar to manage. I found myself, and this was a problem that I had when I started hiring people and started managing a team was that I found that I was so busy with my day-to-day, -day, I actually wasn't setting aside time to manage and then found myself getting frustrated when I had to do that in addition to my work. Um, and that was the complete wrong way to look at it. Managing is part of my job. I need to set up my team for success. So really, re like realizing even outside of traditional meetings that you may have in your office, the meetings from a telework standpoint are really important because you need to see how your team is doing. You're not gonna be interacting with them in the same way. So make time for management, put it on your calendar. And here's how I have set up my meeting structure. We've not struggled, but kind of rearranged over time to figure out what is a good routine. And what I've done is set up my executive director. She handles the meetings with our team on a weekly basis. She plans weekly meetings with them. And then I have a weekly meeting with her. And then we all meet together once a month via Skype or Zoom or all the different web platforms we have these days to meet. So it's not that I am interacting with every employee each week, but for my executive director, I meet with her and what we do in our meetings, we come up with a list of things that obviously we wanna make sure things are crossed off the list. Um, is there anything coming up that we need to fill each other in on, but it's just time dedicated to talking about priorities. And here's a really important thing in those meetings. So not just me talking to my executive director, but what she asks the people that she manages, it's asking them how they're doing. Are they overwhelmed? Are they finding that they have too much time on their hands? That question I've asked a whole lot more during COVID-19 where our workflow has changed quite a bit. And what we've done with some of the extra time we do have is there have been a lot of longstanding projects that we've been able to give to people. Um, let's finish those right now while we have time. So we've stayed very steady. 
Um, but asking those questions of just how are they doing with the workload is really important because again, when you don't have that daily touch point of seeing people all the time, a lot is going to be lost. You're not going to know how overwhelmed they are or maybe how bored they are. You don't want staff to be bored either. So ask questions, figure out how they're doing. And also those meetings are just there to set priorities. And, and I find what's really helpful about these weekly meetings is when you aren't in daily communication, and I'm not just talking about through email and text. I email and text my employees all the time, but there isn't that fear of, am I really doing what I should do? Or there isn't the same fear of, are they really being as productive as they need to be when you have those times set aside every week to determine if there is any issue? So I find, especially for your, your employees that you're managing, it relieves a lot of stress off of them in wondering whether or not they're doing a good job. So those weekly check-ins are key. And the last thing I just wanted to say about telework and how to manage a team is realize how employees, your employees handle this is going to be different. So I'm sure you're all seeing that now where some people they're teleworking and having to teach kids at the same time. They're being homeschool mom and dad. Then you have certain employees who may live alone. And so telework for them may look very different. And so just trying to get a good feel of what is a good workflow for them. So for district media group, we're not a typical nine to 6 p.m. or eight to five type of job. I have given them the perk of a flexible schedule. So it's as long as you get your work done, it doesn't matter to me what time of day it gets done, as long as you're available, if I need to chat with you during work hours. So we can run errands during the day, by the way, during COVID-19, it's a little bit different, of course, but especially when work is normal, it's nice having the grocery store run at 11 a.m. when it's not super crowded. And so I use that as a perk for my employees fine if you want to run errands, get your job done. We work late hours sometimes, and I find that it just evens out. Some people are going to handle that better than others, so just trying to determine the staff that want flexibility as part of it, allowing that. The weekly meetings will make sure that, or at least hopefully, will ensure that people aren't taking advantage of it, um, but especially with people right now who are teleworking and this isn't really their their comfort zone, um, seeing if a little flexibility can can make it a little bit more appealing right now if they can't wait to get back into the office. So I think the last thing I would just say on this is you're probably going to find as however long this all continues, there are going to be a lot more questions from employees and staff on teleworking and whether or not this is something that, that continues. Some people will not want to do it at all. And so I think also having those conversations of what worked well. And I have always found what is typically best is trying to not micromanage employees' times, making sure they get their jobs done. That's where the list in each meeting comes in handy. But if you actually release the reins and give people the freedom and the flexibility to do their job, often they'll rise to the occasion. So those are my thoughts. Thank you, Beverly, very much. I think, you know, I have a gr great follow-up question, but but I want to just real quick see if Jonathan or Martin want to comment on, on what you were just talking about. Jonathan, Martin? I just have one quick comment. I think what Beverly said about meetings is uh, so essential because I think in a moment like this, when you're suddenly all remote, you can't see each other anymore, uh, I think the natural reaction is to want to check in with people a lot, which you should do, right? But I suspect probably in some organizations, and this happened for us, that over time, those things start to pile up where suddenly people have maybe a daily check-in with their team, they have a one-on-one, -on -one, they have a project call, 
And after like the fifth or sixth call in one day, like people are just going to check out, right? Like it just becomes too much. And so I think it is really valuable for, as Beverly mentioned, of like define meetings a bit more in this environment. Like there are the kind of reporting out meetings, which you should be careful to not have those last forever. They should be pretty tight with a good agenda. There's maybe brainstorm meetings that don't have as much of an agenda, but they have a pretty clear outcome. Um, those social connection, like happy hour meetings, like that's a different kind of meeting. So I think it's really important in this, uh, with a remote workforce of defining the kinds of meetings, kind of defining maybe some of the ground rules and how they're different with those meetings and just making sure people aren't having sort of death by conference call um, in the environment because you don't, you don't want them to check out, right? So. Yeah, uh, great point, Jonathan and Beverly. Uh, you did an awesome job of laying sort of the overview. Uh, and to your point, Jonathan, what I found is um, uh, the importance of actually, uh, for some of the staff, doubling the amount of meetings, but just shortening them and having a hard stop. Uh, because there is a tendency on some of these webinars and conference calls uh, for it to go longer, for it to not have to find parameters or schedules. So let's just limit it to a 30-minute check-in, but let's do it twice a week instead of uh, once a week. We found a lot of value too. And the other part I think we've all learned, um, and Beverly alluded to this, is the importance of the staff lounge encounter uh, at the coffee pot, uh, how much we miss that. And one of our team members started a uh, virtual happy hour once a week about four weeks ago, and the attendance has been phenomenal, and it goes over over time. And, um, and so that's been another really positive thing for our team is just to share some laughs, share some time uh, on the uh, on the on the virtual happy hour front, uh, which has been really positive. And it doesn't have to be an alcoholic beverage; it can be water or coffee. But there's been a lot of value to that, and I think we've all learned just how much um, that type of communication is valuable for a team. And if I could just say one more thing on that, um, I just throw this out there as somebody who's learned this in, in teleworking is you may find that your staff has a lot more time to do their job if you're not meeting as office. Um, so is there a point to the meeting? I think it's always interesting when we leave the office, we realize there is a lot of time spent on water cooler talk, so to speak. And there's, there is an important aspect of this. But if you're very, if you're very careful about your meetings and being pretty purposeful, you'll find that your employees have a lot more time. Like rarely, I've never heard from an employee, I wish we met more. Like they may miss seeing you, but it's not like, let's talk about work more. It's um, usually you have the opposite. So this is an opportunity, I think, for people as they're moving to telework to really prioritize the meetings and ask, were the amount of meetings that we had really productive or was it overkill? So. That's a, it's a great point. And, and, and Jonathan, maybe we'll go to you with this next question, but it's sort of, you know, even if it's a social thing, like Martin was talking about a, a happy hour, a virtual happy hour, or as Beverly's talking about, and as everybody's commented on sort of the structure of meetings, you've written a lot on the topic of virtual work. You know, tell us a little bit about putting those structures in place for a team. You know, what does that look like? How do you implement it? How do you do it well? Talk through that process, if you would. Yeah, sure. I, I think it might be helpful to first just uh, tell folks sort of what it looks like at FGA and then talk about some of the lessons that we've learned, some of them the hard way um, along the way. So we started, FGA started about nine years ago. And for the first few years, about two thirds of the staff were in a physical location and the rest were remote. So we were kind of in that hybrid location. But due to the nature of our work, we kept spreading in the States. And so we just kept hiring remote talent. And 
ended up with an all remote workforce. Wasn't quite accidental, but uh, along the way, and so now we're at a place where we have about 32 staff and 40 contractors in 30 states in DC. So we're pretty spread out. Um, to keep those folks connected, we started early on using a platform called Basecamp, which is a project management tool. Uh, we really ramped it up about three years ago to get people to move from um, email more into Basecamp. And so we're actually at a point now where almost everything internal is done on that platform in terms of communication and collaboration. Uh, we use Salesforce for our fundraising team. Uh, for video and conference calls and such, we use Ring Central, which has a video conferencing built in, and Uber Conference, which is a very cool uh, conferencing system that kind of gets rid of some of the friction with normal conference calls. Uh, we set up our accounting system to be remote friendly. So we use Expensify for reimbursements, Bill.com for bill paying, QuickBooks Online for accounting, and DocuSign for contracts. And then on the kind of management side of it, the past couple of years, we implemented a system that's used a lot in the for-profit world called the Entrepreneurial Operating System, which is really just a set of tools to help create lots of clarity internally about where the company's going, making sure there's really clear lines of accountability, and then giving us tools to solve issues. Uh, so a whole variety of tools. So just that's a quick look of sort of what FGA looks like and, and what we've built. And within that, um, again, let me just share three things I think that uh, might be relevant for folks. The first is we realized along the way that we just weren't doing enough to make our, expectation, our expectations clear for people. Um, you know, as leaders, our job is to make sure that folks know what they're expected to do and then they can own their own performance. But we found ourselves sometimes, we realized we were kind of assuming people could read our minds and that's pretty tough to do in a remote environment. So we had to be a lot more clear with it. Um, so the question we ask ourselves, and I think this is a good one to think about is, you know, does everyone on your organization, do they know what the top like five priorities are for your company over the next 90 days? Like, could they recite those back to you? And if they can't, then it might be worth spelling those out and taking the time to just create that clarity. At the individual level, and Beverly touched on this, same thing, could every person spell out their top three priorities for the next month or the next 90 days? And if they can't, it might be worth getting those on paper because then as a leader, when you're remote, you can you both have them down, you both have talked through them, and every week you can just check in and say, hey, are we on track or off track? And if we're on track, then your meeting's done. It's a quick meeting. If you're off track, then you can talk about it, but you have that shared expectation. So again, people can own their own performance. The second uh, lesson learned was how important it is for us as a leadership team I have three vice presidents that work with me um, to have some ground rules around um, how we operate so that we can help our staff maintain boundaries between work and home life. So the problem with that often is not that people aren't working enough, it's that they get sucked too much into work and can't put it down, right? So how as, we, as a leadership team can help them do that? One of the things that we hold each other accountable to is the signals we send, meaning do we email them or text them late at night or do we base camp something on the weekends? Because when we do that as leaders, even if we say in that email, this doesn't matter until tomorrow or you can wait till Monday, like we have good people, they're gonna be responsive to that. They're gonna get sucked back into work. And so we tell each other like, don't send it, just wait till tomorrow. Like most things really don't need to be done until uh, the next day. So kind of keeping our communication in the right time frame. The other thing we did is we designated 
one day a week as a no internal calls day so that people could do more of the deep work on that day. Otherwise, people will try to fit it in in the early morning or late at night or something when they won't get interrupted. So why not just create a day that has less interruptions for them so they can do it during working hours. So that's, I think, been really helpful for folks. Uh, the last thing is, I kind of come from operations world, so I had to mention something on operations. I think it's important to reduce friction on things that surround money. So reimbursements, uh, people getting paid, uh, invoices getting paid, make that as easy for people as possible so they can focus on their real jobs while still making it accurate, right? It has to be accurate. There's now these great tools out there to help you do both. Bill.com and Expensify, when we implemented those, was like transformational, um, made it so much less bureaucratic and yet could still have the accuracy we needed. So this is a moment when all of your operational stuff is probably in a disarray or it's changed. So there's like no better moment to think about trying to make things simpler and reduce friction with folk, for folks in those areas. They will thank you for it. And I think, you know, it'll be a really long-term investment. So just three lessons I think we've taken away on how to design those structures to help make sure people can do their work from home. Excellent. Thank you. Martin, do you want to comment on that? And then Beverly? I really was intrigued, uh, Jonathan, by your idea of one day a week with no staff meetings, uh, perhaps even Wednesday to kind of be kind of clear the decks of the first two days and get ready for the final two days of the week. I thought that was an awesome point and uh, might just go ahead and implement that for our team uh, effective. Great. Beverly, any, any comments? Yeah, one of the things I want to pick up on is what Jonathan said about expectations with emails. What we have set up with our shop is, well, we do email in the evenings. It is the expected if it's past work hours that no response is necessary till the next day. What we do is a lot of texting. So our emergencies are via text. <laughs> um, we work in a media cycle, so there is a lot that happens in the evenings. Um, but that's the way we set it up. But I think putting those expectations are really, really important um, that team knows it. And I think especially right now, I mentioned we have monthly team meetings. Part of that is for me to share the vision of where things are. And if I'm not talking um, regularly with the contractors or the staff, I think it's good for them to know I'm working and that I see them and I know they're working. It's just that touch point. But especially right now, something that people may need to consider is I've focused some of our meetings on how we're doing as a business during this time because people could be fearful about, so you mentioned money, Jonathan, and just the expectations of money. Right now, like letting my team know, yes, we are definitely impacted, but we did get a PPP loan. We do have some business, like assuring them they're gonna continue to get a paycheck and also realizing that our, what, what I need from them during this time is gonna be a little bit different to continue to carry us through with the unknowns that we do have. So I find those monthly meetings, it's really helpful to set vision and to calm fears, especially right now with where does business go from here? Excellent, excellent comment, thank you. Uh, and, and just so you know, the world never stops even in a virtual environment. We had, we had a guest, John Coughlin, who's about to leave and he just said, I have to pop out to go to my own virtual meeting. Great presentation on this absolutely relevant topic, and he's making sure that it will be recorded and available. So just to remind everybody else who tuned in, this will be recorded and available in about 48 hours on heritage.org and resourcebank.org. So with that, you know, one of the sort of steady themes here is, is obviously team performance. And one of the pleasures I've had is, is working with Martin in a couple different environments. Uh, and Martin is a great leader and he leads through his team. And it's something that I've always seen him do 
and, and then tried to model in my own efforts and everything. So Martin, you know, you lead a team of fundraisers for the Heritage Foundation, the most widely supported think tank in America. Re you know, fundraisers are relationship builders. There's obviously a lot more to it, but how do you foster your relationship with your team? How do you, how do you lead virtually? You know, have, have you leaned more into video? Has it always been phone calls? If you could talk a little bit about that and maybe how your work has just changed in the recent times. Sure. Thank you, Andy. And um, I would say my first foray into virtual management of teams was back in 2004 when you and I were both at the RNC under then Chairman Ed Gillespie. And by the way, if you have the chance to work at the RNC, it's very nice to have the same last name as the chairman. It's a nice perk of the job. Um, and I remember, well, they came to me around Memorial Day and said, you need to identify, recruit, hire, and train 30 staff before 4th of July, so in a little over a month. And thankfully, I was so young. Uh, this is many pounds ago. I had no idea what I was getting into, and I said, happily, yes, let's do it. And so that was uh, 16 years ago on my first experience with managing virtual teams. There's really three things that I've uh, kind of relearned and some new things that I've learned during this quarantine uh, and pandemic, uh, some of which I had seen years ago, but I'll, I'll mention those three um, and I'll, I'll elaborate on those very briefly. Uh, first and foremost is the importance of trust. Uh, secondly, uh, transparency and accountability. And then third is professional development. So I wanna to touch on those three, if I might. Uh, on the issue of trust, uh, all of the organizations represented on this call today, be they panelists or uh, folks that are joining us online, uh, every donor who gives um, a gift to your organization does so because there's a degree of trust there. Uh, and maybe it's not a nonprofit, maybe it's a business, your customers trust you. Uh, what we found, and I just reviewed some uh, survey findings this morning of heritage donors, are, uh, number one, the really privileged position that heritage has with its donors in terms of trusting the information that we share with them. Uh, what was equally striking uh, was just how low uh, the trust level of the mainstream media is in other sources. And so it's really important for everyone on this call and your organizations to keep those lines of communication open now more than ever. Uh, what we've actually found, Andy, over the, over the course of the quarantine is that our call reports, which for us are really substantive donor interactions, are up 250% over where they were last year. And we're finding prospects and even donors who support us but don't necessarily care to have extended conversations are much more likely to do so right now. So even while our usual business model of, of flying out to Spokane, Washington or down to Miami to meet with the donor, that's obviously been severely inhibited, non-existent. Uh, we're finding engagements very much on the rise. Uh, so that's been very heartening and good. And again, it's taking advantage of the trust that each of your organizations enjoy with your donor base. Uh, number two is transparent and accountability, especially with a team of fundraisers. And so what we do is every Friday we publish a call report um, that shows all the main donor interactions of the week. It shows exactly what was discussed in those meetings so that all the fundraisers can see the dynamics that are happening around the country. It also shows exactly who uh, led the team and, and the amount of call reports. 
And so what I do is I issue a, a report once a month uh, that show all the metrics. Uh, so everyone gets to look under each other's hood and see what they're doing. And I try to do some gamification, some friendly competition, but it gets back to what Beverly said about having very uh, clear expectations of the team. And then obviously I use uh, this information in my individual management calls, but I also share uh, throughout uh, the team exactly what everyone's doing uh, to try and really highlight those that are at the top of the list and encourage those that might be in the basement to get out of the basement as soon as possible. Um, and then what we're also doing right now is monthly, we're doing portfolio reviews with our top donors and investors uh, with our fundraisers so we can have updated in real time, as close to real time as possible, uh, revenue projections that we can share with leadership. Beverly alluded to this. Uh, there's a lot of uncertainty right now, and it's really important as much as ever uh, to have really solid revenue projections for leadership. And then third um, is professional development. I think we've all had a notion of trying to get more uh, sales training for our team, perhaps more public speaking, uh, how to be more efficient in time management or working virtually, uh, and, and other priorities over the course of time overtook those things. Well, now's the time to do it. And we've been doing more of that on the Heritage Fundraising team, and I think it's had a really good impact. Um, and then the only other thing I would say is it's really important to care. Um, our donors know that we care about them. We listen, we're there for them, but our employees have to know that as well. And so that means, and I think both Jonathan and Beverly have alluded to the fact that we need to, uh, we need to give more flexibility in terms of admin procedures, timing, uh, office hours, really be uh, cognizant of the fact that there's a really unique set of challenges facing our employees and we need to be there for them during this time. So those are my thoughts. Excellent, thank you, Martin, very much. You know, Beverly, maybe if you could comment on, on Martin's comments, but, but also I might ask you to focus also, uh, you know, how do you, how do you ensure client satisfaction you know, in that remote environment in general, but then even sort of heightened times like these, what's your process for sort of staying in front of clients or staying ahead of clients or, or how you might characterize that? So the word of the day is expectations. Um, so setting expectations, I think is important, not just with staff, but also with clients. We've had the unique challenge in working with clients who want to get on TV where we do pitching and booking for them. But when the news only wants to focus on coronavirus, we've had to be very honest with clients about our ability to do so. We can't change the news cycle. We don't make the news cycle. We can only fit you into the news cycle. So we personally have taken it upon ourselves to pause some of our pitching contracts with clients. And we're starting to pick them up now, knowing that we, were in a, we would burn our relationships with producers, emailing them every day on a topic they couldn't work with. And also we would be hindering or hampering our relationship with our clients because we don't want to promise something that can't happen. So we did think about those individually and allowing our clients to say, yeah, let's pause right now. We couldn't have predicted this for an unprecedented time. So that client management and communication, I think, is important. But also my employees work with some of our clients more than I do. So one of the things that's very important to me in the meetings that I do have with staff 
is finding out how their interaction is going with the client. Because I never want the client to reach out to me and I don't know that there is an issue. That would be poor. So even though we do have our weekly meetings where we discuss this, if there's anything that pops up, let me know right away because I never want to be caught off guard by a client. So we, we just have that worked in. And I want to go back to something Martin said really quickly just about caring. You sh hopefully that just comes naturally to care about your employees. They're, they're going to be much better employees if they like you and they like what they do for a living and they feel like they're valued. So that's where the trust factor I think comes in as well, but also being an encourager. Martin, you were mentioning about encouraging your employees, especially during these hard times, especially if you have employees that technology is not their thing and they're trying to figure this out and working with kids is giving them that leeway. Like I know one of my closest friends, she just found out her daycare worker is having a shutdown shop and the first person she called was her boss. So she was telling me about, I called my boss and it felt so much better when my boss was understanding <laughs> that we're dealing with things where we have to think outside the box. We have to be flexible role with people. Um, and in, in good times when we're not this weird time, one of the things that we do develop, and I think FGA does this as well, I'm sure Heritage does, we do a staff meetings, staff retreats where I do fly people in so that we can all be together. Um, because you do need to have some of that face-to-face. -face. So we did that in January. We haven't been able to do that again, but setting aside funds when you telework, not only to help pay for expenses of Wi-Fi of your staff and for us, TV cable subscriptions, since we have to monitor the news, but also setting aside money to actually bring people together because those touch points are important when you telework. Excellent, excellent. So Jonathan, I'm sure you have comments on this, but, but I, I'm gonna preface giving you the, the floor. Well, I was watching a video about some of the work you've done and you were tagged as the COO, but the chaos optimization overlord. And I, I don't know if I've got that right or not, but but tell us, I mean, I think what we're talking about, right? Like Beverly's talking about a friend whose childcare has disappeared, right? All these things, it's it's sort of chaos in the broadest sense and, and kind of the environment we're in. And when you, you can't control for all of these things, you control for what you can control. So. So to be considered the overlord of that is a is a recognition, right? That that you've got a, a vision and a way in which you institute sort of things to to run a process smoothly to help people, you know, manage their own activities uh, in, in pursuit of the organization's goals. Maybe talk a little bit about that, you know. That, and do I have that right? Is it chaos optimization overlord? Did I get that right? Yeah, I think uh, Sarah Bragdon, the CEO, mentioned that because I mainly manage his chaos that he creates in a very good way. Uh, no, he's a great idea guy. Yeah, I, I think I would just harken back actually a couple of things that have been said of it's it's about like focusing on the things that matter and letting kind of the rest of it be okay, right? With what people's schedules are, the, the cast they're dealing with. And so I think that's why I would come back to make your expectations really clear and create as much transparency as you can um, so people feel like that they're connected and they know what the most important things are. So um you know, that doesn't mean more meetings necessarily, but it might mean, as Martin does, a weekly roundup of the most important things that happened that week. We're having people write notes and put them where folks can see them of the conversations they're having. Certainly, it means those clear expectations about what the company's goals are. Make sure everyone can see those. So create a lot of transparency around the stuff that really matters. And then a lot of it, you just have to let it go. But I do think it's an opportunity to innovate where, you know, People probably have things they wish they'd worked on before. Now everything's changed, everything's up in the air. It is a moment where you could potentially innovate some stuff that before just wouldn't have been possible, but where now you can try some things. And we're trying some things 
um, we we started a thing where we ask a question of you know what books are people reading and podcasts and like what did you do this weekend and we haven't really done that before but we thought why not in the middle of a uh, time like this and people are responding really well and you, it's really fun to see kind of what people's lives are it just takes them a moment and it gives us a little bit of a glimpse into their weekend um, but it's not a new meeting or anything like that so little stuff we're trying out that some of it will be long term and some of it won't but now's a good time to try things yeah Actually, i think jonathan mentioned a really uh, key term which is innovation uh, innovation for sales teams has always been good to have it's optimal now it's absolutely mandatory um, because our trade itself is changing and even after the stay-at-home orders start to expire uh, there's still a very open question as to you know how willing are donors and, and prospective clients uh, for those that are in business how willing are they going to be to take meetings in their boardroom their living room at a restaurant those are all open questions so innovation now is an absolute requirement uh, we're doing things and experimenting with things to uh, try to uh, get ahead of that. Um, we just heard this morning from some of our stewardship team of these thank you uh, videos that can be uh, personalized and emailed out uh, from various, uh, various heritage fellows or experts uh, to thank someone for naming a position. Uh, so innovation now is more important than ever, especially as our trade itself is fundamentally changing, at least for the short term. Excellent. So we, we've got a couple, there's a, there's a question here. There's a few questions that have come in. I'll try to group them together, Martin. And it's a little bit about, you know, that sort of reporting out and the cadence of your activities and during this time, but also how you communicate that, you know, in a fundraising environment, maybe it's a challenging time for some of the organizations. And so maybe how, how you've been able to capture that in a way, um, you know, that it doesn't feel like a snowballing effect or just, just the methods that you might use. But, but first I'll go to, to Jonathan question from April, April Pulaski. She says, how do you assess your personnel's performance when a government organization, as an example, doesn't have revenue as a marker for performance like the commercial sector or the, even the nonprofit sector? So if you're, if you're absent sort of, you know, revenue or fundraising in, from the vantage point of a chief operating officer or a CEO, you know, what are the, some of the other metrics that you look at? Well, I think, I mean, in some cases, you still have some signals, right? So we have, in our case, we have donors we've talked to, and we, uh, a lot of them we had to talk about, you know, our plans had to change a little bit from, from all of this, uh, from as simple as legislature shut down. And so things we were going to work on, we couldn't. Um, but I think you still have those big goals that you're trying to accomplish as an organization. And if they had to change, then like we came together and talked about what needs to be different and what can stay the same with our goals. And some things, even though we're not sure how you're going to get there, you still want to keep. You don't want to change everything and create more chaos than necessary. But I think the important thing is, as a leadership team, of still figure out, like, what are you trying to accomplish here? What are your goals? Keep those transparent and then um, help folks make sure they know how they connect to those goals. So even if revenue has changed a little bit, like, you still exist for a reason. You're still trying to get something done for a reason. You want to have something optimistic for people to work toward. Um, so I think that's where the leadership team comes into play to try to set that expectation, set that goal, make it clear for folks, and then hold them to that. So you're not trying to micromanage what they're doing at their keyboard every hour, but are they helping you get those big results that you promised to donors of what's kind of possible for the moment? Um, and maybe some things that you had to adjust, like Beverly talked about of, 
sort of planning maybe for tomorrow, but what can you do now to keep moving in the right direction? Excellent, thank you. So, so Martin, to this idea of, of sort of tracking and, and how you report that and, and how you, you know, sustain a cadence of news, if you want to comment on that. Yeah, um, so certainly, I mean, what we've seen is with direct marketing, uh, thankfully revenue, uh, folks that give 25, 50, $100 a year, there's really been no drop off in that revenue and, and we're, we're so thankful for that. I'm sure other organizations see these checks that come in from a grandmother who wrote a check for $25 with a note imploring us to save this great country. And you know that it affected her monthly budget to do it. And that's really heartening. On the major gift side, we have seen um, both good news and bad news. Bad news is uh, gifts that might've come in in the first quarter or perhaps in April, uh, some, some of them did not. Uh, the good news is people are uh, still planning to give just later in the year. I think what we've learned from donors is uh, not that their sort of personal net worth or portfolio performance has been the biggest concern, it's just a lack of certainty about when this country gets back to some degree of normalcy. And thankfully, I think there's some positive signs over the last week or two that that's starting to happen. And so I think on, on major gifts, what we're seeing is uh, gifts are still going to come in. They're just going to come in later. It's a timing issue. And so what I've encouraged the team is just be near, dear, and clear. Continue to show you care. And don't be afraid to ask, too. I mean, you have to listen. You have to understand for some people, they're not ready to receive a solicitation at this time. But if you really believe in your organization and its mission, now is more important a time than ever for the work we're doing. And so it's important to still make those asks, uh, but always uh, communicating gratitude and appreciation for everything that people have already done for Heritage. Wonderful. Thank you for that, uh, Martin. Uh, I've got two, we've got some other questions coming in. One doesn't have a name on it, so I'm deciding whether we should ask it, but it's a pretty good question, so I think I will. Um, but I'll, I'll tell you, I'm going to ask you if there is a, a mentor or somebody you've worked with who's given you sort of guidance that you've always tried to model in this environment, how to be a good leader and a good manager. Uh, but the question that doesn't have a name affiliated with it, which I think is interesting, I think was Drew and Martin, you were talking about happy hours, social happy hours, virtual happy hours. What do each of you do to sort of release the, the sort of stress valve with your teams? Is there anything that you have either, you know, on a common regular occurrence, like Martin mentioned, Beverly, do you guys do anything as a team or how do you sort of facilitate that part of it? Yeah, I'll, I'll jump in to start. So I'm actually at one of my employees' houses right now. So we're we're doing lunch on the DMG credit card takeout and we're going to have our meeting after this. So she's been listening the entire time. Um, but one of the the stress relievers you probably do is one of my employees, we have a similar sense of humor and we, we text each other regularly, articles that we find humorous or funny. So if there is anything where just on a personal level, you connect with somebody, having those moments with them, I think is, is really important. It's something to do. And as far as a mentor, um, I did have somebody who, who was my boss for my first seven years when I was in DC and he taught me how to run a business because he ran the studio that way. So he was someone who was constantly teaching me, wanted me to learn, encouraged me to freelance and said, the more that you know, the better that you will be for the company. And so that's something that hopefully I've been able to continue. Um, when you're a small shop and we're, we're, like I said, we're not as large as Heritage or FGA. We do a lot of Googling and figuring things out on our own. We've learned a lot. And that's one of the things we try to do is 
have the people that we know that are trusted to give us advice on how to do certain things, but we do a lot of teaching ourselves and making sure, I think always making sure my team has what they need in order to do their job well. So I think mentoring is a big part of that, but for me, a lot of it is just relational and making sure they're okay. And, and something that I just wanted to add, you talked about people who are in different stressful situations, making sure that people aren't worried about paying the mortgage. If you have employees where maybe their spouse isn't working, if they have these extra stresses at home financially, just checking in with people, like, are you okay? Are there things? Because that that also changes their job. Um, so you don't do it just because you're worried about a poor job performance, but trying to alleviate a lot of those new stresses that are here. So having that personal touch with people, I think, is really key. Couldn't agree more with that, Beverly. Um, uh, the late John Von Cannon, who was uh, the Vice President of Heritage for Development for many years, um, you know, coined a couple of key terms that we practice to this day, especially in this time, is we treat people like people, and you have to care. Uh, George Burns said, you know, if, if you can fake sincerity in Hollywood, you got it made. Well, you can't fake sincerity in our profession. People can sniff it out a mile away whether they are uh, employees that you manage or whether they're donors. As far as the stress relievers, for me personally, the virtual happy hour has been good. I've also benefited from the fact that Microsoft Teams has a mobile app, so if my five and two-year-old are fighting, which happens about one to two hours a day, I can just step outside. And the group texts and chats are fun as well. Like you said, Beverly, just to share some lightheartedness has been really beneficial for the team. Um, yeah, I would just say kind of similar having um, it, with the leadership team, we always share a little bit on our calls about kind of what happened on our weekend and what's going on in our personal lives. And just having even just a little short touch does make a difference. Um, as far as mentors, uh, Taryn, who I mentioned before, the CEO here, is great about challenging my assumptions. And I think that's something that's it's really helpful to have when you're in a leadership position of it's it's great sometimes for people to say, oh, good ideas, just do them, but you need some people every once in a while who will say, I think you're looking at this the wrong way, or there's another perspective, and Taryn does that for me a lot, so it's really helpful. Excellent. Well, thank you all very much. We're now at the 1245 point, which is when we try to end these webinars because we would like to give people the, the balance of the hour back so they can get to the next thing. This has been a wonderful discussion and a great conversation. We know that all of you are high performing individuals with high standards and so sketching out how you approach these challenges uh, how you approach this sort of work environment in the first place and then double down with the challenge of been very helpful for all of us um, for those listening in uh, and tuning in you'll see the slide on the screen now you have jonathan beverly and martin's email addresses they're happy to hear from you you also have my email address i'm happy to hear from you um, I would I would like to just point out um, if you go to uh, Bev's website, you'll see a lot of the great work that she does for her clients. It's really remarkable. Um, Jonathan, you can certainly go to the FGA website to see the, the work that they do. You can also see his uh, writings on LinkedIn, which are great, and touch on these and, and other topics, which I think you'll find interesting. And uh, and Martin does a wonderful job keeping the doors open at the Heritage Foundation and keeping us at the tip of the spear on all these public policy battles. Uh, if you're not familiar, please visit heritage.org and check out the commission work that we have undertaken around the coronavirus, that commission will report uh, tomorrow uh, a draft report with additional recommendations on how our country can uh, save both lives and livelihoods. Uh, and with that, we thank everybody for joining in. We thank our guests for being with us and we hope everybody stays happy, healthy, and well.